Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today at South Park Church. We welcome those of you watching online or listening to our podcast. Uh, it's a very exciting day to be together. As Pastor Nancy said, it's the season of Lent. Uh, the 40 days that leads into Easter Sunday is a very reflective time. It's a time where we have a chance to just stop and pause and, and really ask ourselves a question. How is it with my soul? How is it with me and God? And what, is that, what does that look like in, in our lives? And so we're going to be uh, being very intentional over these next few weeks as we approach Easter to, to take some time out and think about what does it look like to have a relationship with God. Um, before we dive in today, I just want to remind you that we've uh, put out our impact report from 2018. That is a report that uh, talks about all the great things that we were able to accomplish uh, together for God last year. If you've not yet had a chance to see that, we've got copies out in the lobby on the magazine rack there just to invite you to pick one of those up uh, and just to celebrate what God's been able to do among us. And I'm just so proud to be your pastor and uh, to know that we're a vital congregation making a difference through the power of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you'll be able to check that out today. Uh, would like to invite you now maybe to think back to the, one of the first early times where you fell in love with someone. Uh, think about that special someone, and maybe even before it was love, when it was that infatuation where all you could do was think about the person. When you weren't with them, uh, when you, you were away from them, you just yearned and pined to be back in their presence. You couldn't eat, you couldn't concentrate on work. All that you could concentrate on was, when am I going to see them again? And I just can't wait to be in their presence. And just how our hearts fluttered and how the world stopped and we just felt so excited and happy to be in the presence of that person who had captured our attention. If we were fortunate enough for that infatuation to actually become love and, and to last over the course of years, how those, those strong emotions probably continued, but also changed into something else to where even maybe now with that special someone, uh, you won't even have to talk to them. You could just look at them and catch each other's eyes and know what one another's thinking. To be able to just stand or sit together and, and be in silence and and be comfortable to, to hold hands or to gaze at the stars and just to know that, that this is a special relationship. I, I think about my own life with my wife, Laura, and how when we first started out with that infatuation and now over 16 years later of dating and marriage, how that has matured into, uh, into something even better and how special that is in our lives, these relationships. Or maybe to think today about those friendships in our lives, the people that know us for who we are, and, and they've been with us through thick and thin. And when something exciting or special happens in our lives, that they're the first ones that come to mind. And we want to pick up the phone and give them a call or, or meet for coffee to let them know what's going on or, or to grab our phones and text them of something we just can't wait to share. And evidently, I have a lot of friends who like the North Carolina Tar Heels and... <laughs> reached out to share that with me last night. And so uh, how very special relationship we have. Yeah, it's very, very special. Or to think about our grandchildren and how we might get them for the weekend or it might be our time to take them to dinner and, and we just look forward to that special time with these, these young ones that we just, we love so much and, and, and we can't get enough of. Or, or to finally figure out that our parents uh, actually do know what they're talking about. 
And when we're older and discover that and going or going through a difficult time that we can call them or go see them and, and to seek some sage wisdom to say, I really need I really need to know what you think and, and how can you help me with this situation? Thinking about the relationships in our lives, the tangible relationships and, and the people that that matter to us and help us get through life. And then that begs a question. Can we have something like that with God? Can we have a tangible relationship where we, we want to spend every waking moment with God, where when something happens special that, that the first thing that we want to do is we want to fall on our knees or, or reach out and let God know what it is to share with God, or when we're going through a challenging moment and we're not sure where to turn, that we're confident that we can turn to God and, and seek God's wisdom. Can we have relationship with God like we do with the people in our lives that we love and trust and, and wouldn't make it without? And I think we want that relationship. I, I think the reason that we're here today in a church that, that we're watching or listening online is that we're looking for something larger than ourselves. And, and we want to believe that there's a God and we want to have a, a real relationship with God. But sometimes it's hard to do that when we can't see God. When we can't hear God, when we can't touch God, how can we have a relationship like we do with the other people in our lives when God seems to be absent or invisible or, or just out there somewhere and we can't get our hands around God? What does it look like to pursue a relationship with God? That's what the season of Lent is about. And that's what we're going to be about. And I think that a lot of us do start with the church or organized religion because church organized religions are the ones that purport, you know, we, we know who God is. We can help broker you into a relationship with God. And, and sometimes churches and religions do that really well. And, and sometimes churches and, and organized religions don't. And so there is a, a sentiment out in the world that says, you know what, I, I want to be in a relationship with God. But I'm not so sure that I trust the church. I'm not so sure that I trust organized religion. We know in our own denomination right now, there are a lot of people that don't trust us. And there's a lot of turmoil around the general conference that we talked about last week. And so it's not uncommon for people in our culture here in America to say, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I'm just not religious. I'm a spiritual person. I want to have something to do with God. I just, I don't need the trappings of religion. I don't need the trappings of church. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Now, I'd like for us to think about a little bit about what that means. And I'm going to lean on a guy named Brian McLaren, who's done a lot of work around spirituality and stuff. And just uh, he's a Christian and, and, and does some really cool things with that. And, and he's, he's studied this and he's, he says, you know, there's some common characteristics of folks who are, who are spiritual, consider themselves spiritual and yet not religious. And he said, you know, at the beginning, it's is that people begin to realize that economics and, and science and politics and entertainment just don't answer all my questions. There, there's got to be more to life than, than just those, those things that I've mentioned. And so, and so people think there's got to be something more to life, something bigger in life, something divine, something that, that some maybe would call God or, or spiritual, that there's something more to life that I need to pursue. And oftentimes folks, again, think, well, also that organized religion doesn't necessarily have all the answers. And so sometimes we're skeptical of institutions and religious institutions. And so... And so what, what do we do then? And, and, and so folks who are looking to be spiritual, 
want it to be more than just like a mind exercise that, that, that spirituality, that living a life in the spirit must also happen, happen to overlap with our everyday lives. Like where we are, where we work and, and, and where we go to school and in our neighborhoods and our families that, you know, it can't just be this kind of academic understanding of a higher power. It has to be real in our lives. It, it has to translate to our life and, and to be lived out in our lives. And so, People who are spiritual also seek spiritual practices. For some, it might be yoga. For some, it might be meditation. For some, it might be taking a hike in nature or enjoying the sunset or the beauty of the ocean. And, and for some, it might be volunteering in a soup kitchen or feeding people who are hungry or getting clothes to those who don't have them or, or fighting for justice issues. And so these are some of the characteristics of people who seek something higher, something better, something more spiritual in life. Now, the irony in all this is that's exactly what good religion is supposed to be doing. That's exactly what good religion is supposed to be doing. When you look at the word religion, right in the middle is the, is the, is the phrase lig, like ligament, right? A ligament, what does a ligament do? It connects things inside of our body together. So lig means to connect and re means again, right? To do again, like rerun. We watch something again. So, so religion is supposed to be about reconnecting. It's supposed to be about reconnecting to God. It's supposed to be about reconnecting to people. It's supposed to be about reconnecting to ourselves when we've kind of gone down the wrong path. And so in the best case scenarios, in, in churches and in organized religion, when we're doing it right, we are reconnecting to God and we're reconnecting to people. And, and I think all churches do this well in some areas and, and, and not so well in other areas. And, and so the question then becomes... As broken people in an imperfect church or a denomination with an invisible God, can we really be in a vital connection, a vital relationship with God? If we're broken people in an imperfect church, an imperfect religion with an invisible God, can we be reconnected or connected at all in a vital way to God or each other? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with in the season of Lent. I would say that, yes, we can. And yes, there is good news. And so I want to take us now then on a journey through the Bible, what we believe is the Word of God, and try to find some ways that we might be able to understand how that we can reconnect to God, how we can reconnect to each other, and maybe even reconnect to ourselves. And so let's see what God teaches us, because I think God definitely, definitely wants to be in a loving, personal relationship with each and every one of us. So we're going to begin today in the Gospel of John. We've been, we've been doing a lot with John's Gospel lately, and I like how the Spirit's moving in that. And the Gospel means the good news of Jesus, and uh, a Gospel was written, this one was written by John, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, had an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so John communicates all about Jesus, first century uh, in Israel, Jesus. And so... We're going to be in John chapter 3 today. We've been here some also as well lately. And so Jesus is talking with a religious leader uh, named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is wanting to learn more about God and the kingdom of God. And he thinks Jesus is the real deal, even though some of his colleagues do not. And so he and Jesus are talking. And, and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And he says that to be, become a part of the kingdom of God, we must be born again. And, 
And he doesn't mean like a, a physical rebirth, but he means a spiritual rebirth. And so he's talking about being born in the spirit with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is really struggling to understand this. So we're going to kind of pick up and eavesdrop on their conversation uh, right after Jesus has talked about being born again and all that kind of stuff. And so we begin with John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, be in a relationship with God, unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Now, the water part uh, alludes to baptism. When we surrender to God, when we enter into a relationship with God, uh, then one of the things that we do is we receive baptism. We're, we're a, a priest or a pastor, anoints us with water, uh, washes us with that, and it symbolizes being washed clean of all the bad stuff in our lives and having a fresh start. And so to be part of the kingdom of God means that we, we need to be born of water, but then Jesus says, and, and of the Spirit. Now, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So now Jesus is talking about the spiritual life. Right? A spiritual life is life lived in the Spirit, right? the Holy Spirit, the special part of God that's with us in the world right now. So if we want to be a spiritual person, live a spiritual life, we must be born of the Holy Spirit. So what, is, what does that look like? Then Jesus gives this really weird cryptic kind of thing in John 3, 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Well, that's about as clear as mud, if you ask me. I mean, that's, that's pretty complex. And uh, the, a great uh, image for the Spirit in the Bible, uh, for the Holy Spirit, is wind. And if you think about wind, wind is mysterious and it's powerful, it's unpredictable, it's uncontained, and, and it's, it's something beyond us. And it's amazing the, the force of a hurricane, or it's amazing the cool refresh, refreshingness of uh, a cool breeze on a, on a hot summer day. And so Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit as, as this, this mysterious, powerful, untamed kind of thing that wants to be in a relationship with us, right? So it's kind of a wild ride that we're getting ready to go on. Think about that wind. Think about that spirit over these next 40 days of the season of Lent. Now I want to jump back into uh, the Old Testament to kind of put some some legs on this so we can begin to understand what this might look like in our everyday life and, and practicing a relationship with God. We're going to be in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a literal book, you can open the Bible up and it's usually like right in the middle of the Psalms on, on your phone. You have to find it yourself. But uh, Psalms is a great book because it's, it's written by real people like you and me. And they're honest to God. They, they are honest to God. Sometimes they're happy. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes they're mad. Uh, sometimes they're anxious. Uh, sometimes they just don't know what's going on. What well, the beauty of the Psalms are is these people like you and me, you know, thousands of years ago, just they let it all out with God. And it's a great thing if we could learn to be like them. And, and today, the, the psalm writer, it's attributed to King David, who was a great leader for God, but he also had a lot of his own issues and problems and struggles. And uh, it, this would have been written about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And so we're going to get uh, intimate here with David and with God and, and just see what David teaches us about maybe approaching God as we're looking for a relationship with God. Let's begin with Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Before I even say it, you know what I'm going to say. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So what David's saying to God is that, God, you know everything. Right? You are omniscient. You know everything. You know everything about me, God. You just, you know it all, right? That's just amazing, God, how much that you know. Then he continues, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will, will shine like day, for uh, darkness is as light to you. Right? So now David's saying, God, there's nowhere I can go where you're not. Right? You're omnipresent. You are everywhere. And, and when I want to be with you, that's great. When I want to flee from you, that's not so great, because I can try to hide from you in the darkness, but you see right through the darkness, God. You are everywhere. You know everything. You are everywhere. There's nowhere that I can be where you are not. David is, is understanding God and, and saying what he thinks God is about. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I've been created by you, God. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. So God, you, you know everything. You're everywhere and you created me. And God, you know everything about me. You, you knew me before I even came into existence, God. You gave me life. You, you created me just as you created the wonders of the world, God. You are a, an amazing creator, and, and, and you know me. And now the psalm starts to take a little bit of a turn. It, it starts to shift. And so he's talking about how great God is and all these things about God. And, and watch, watch this shift now. If only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Right? Now, do you see that shift? Right? Now, the question here is, was David saying all that to suck up to God so God's going to wipe out his enemies for him? You know, or... Is David now sucking up to God's like, God, I, I hate the people that hate you. We need to take care of them. You know, right. Is, is David being a suck up here, right, trying to build God up to try to get God to do something for him? Uh, or is David making a shift here saying, God, you know everything, but let me tell you what I'm thinking right now. I got some anger issues with people who stand against you, God, and, and I, I, I hate them, right? right? This, to me, could be the beginning of a shift of vulnerability where David is sharing with God things that you and I would probably never want to share with God, right? 
that we would never want to admit that we hated someone or that we had anger in ourselves or we wanted them wiped off the, the face of the planet. So either David's sucking up to God or maybe David's starting to make a shift here and be a little more vulnerable and sharing with God things that are within him, things that he's probably not as proud about, maybe he is proud about, right? But he's sharing things with God that you and I probably wouldn't think would be appropriate to share with God, talking about hating people and all kinds of things like that. So let's now see where David ends this psalm. And I think he takes a big shift right here. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right, let's leave that up just for a second, David. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? At the beginning of this, David was kind of talking to God like a textbook, right? You know everything. You're everywhere. You created me. Then he made a, a bit of a shift when he started letting his true feelings out, and now David has made a complete shift, right? Now it's not about a textbook, God knows everything. It's an invitation. God, I want you to search me, right? I want you to know my heart. Come and look inside of me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, I'm not perfect. There's a mess in here. See if there's any offensive way in me, right? There's, you're going to find something broken in me, God. You're going to find that I'm not perfect. There's a mess inside of me. So lead me in the way everlasting, right? I don't want you to miss this shift, right? At the beginning, it's academic. It's praise. It's God, you're everywhere. You know everything. You know everything about me. You created me, right? But at the end of this psalm, David makes a shift, and he gets vulnerable with God. He's like, God, I want you to actively search my heart. And I know that when you do, you're going to find some good things, but I know that you're going to find some things that I'm not very proud of, but I want you to do it anyway, God, because I want to be in a relationship with you. Don't miss that shift, right? Rather than God knowing everything anyway, David invites God to come and to search his heart, knowing that when God does that, he's not going to like everything that he sees there, right? That, that's the power of the Psalms. It's honesty saying, God, I want to be in a real relationship with you. I'm not going to BS you, God. I, I want you to see me as I am, and I want you to help me, Lord. But I want to be in a real relationship with you. Right? That's a powerful thing. And as we think about being in relationships with God, are, are we willing to be as courageous or as open or as longing for a relationship as David to say, God, I'm ready to be vulnerable. Search my heart. Search me. Come in and, and, and look at the good and the bad and the ugly. Right? So as we think about this, as we think, well, well so what? So, you know, what, what's the point? What does that mean for me? What's the big idea? What? What should I walk away from here today as we think about being in, in a relationship with God? How can, this, how can I translate this? How can I make this happen in my life? Right? What's the point, the, the so what moment? Right? To build up a relationship with the Spirit, we must first let down our guard. To build up a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we must first let down our guard. And that's incredibly difficult to do. And that, that is a challenge, right? If we want to build up a relationship with God, if we want to truly be in a relationship with God, you know, kind of like we have with our friends or, or, or the people that we've fallen in love with or our grandchildren or, or our parents or whatever, we at some point are going to have to say, God, I'm ready for you to search me and to know who I am. 
and to stand before God in, in all the good, the bad, and the ugly. Say, God, search me, know me, right? Let's, let's make this a real relationship. I'm not just going to put on a front for you because you're going to see right through it, right? How many of us are ready to be like King David, right? To build up a relationship with the Spirit, we must first let down our guard. I want to read to you a quote from a, a guy named Richard Rohr. He's a Catholic writer, just a very spiritual person, very, very smart guy. And, and this is what he has to say about spirituality. The goal of all spirituality is to lead the naked person, right? Not physically, but, you know, inside of us to stand trustfully before the naked God. The important thing is that we're naked. In other words, that we come without title or merit or shame or even demerit. All we can offer to God is who we really are. All we can offer to God is who we really are, which to all of us never seems like enough. I'm sure this is the way that true lovers feel too. That's a powerful way of thinking about it. If we want to be in a relationship with God, a true relationship with God, we've got to let our walls down. We've got to let our guard down. We've got to be vulnerable and let God see us for who we really are. When I was dating Laura, uh, and I finally figured out, and it didn't take me very long, that uh, she was the one for me. When I, you know, I figured that out, that was you know, such a dramatic moment in, our li- in my life, in our relationship, especially when I found out that she thought the same. And, and so we were, we were having these discussions, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those like mountaintop moments, right, where you know that this is a person that, that you believe God's called you to spend the rest of your life with, and, and how exciting, how amazing that was. But it was also, it was a frightening moment. Right? Because up until that point, certainly we've been showing each other our best sides, right? And, and you know, we want to put the best foot forward. We want to put that, that front up. We, we kind of let down our guard a little bit. But when you start having discussions like, like these, like, you know, you could be the one. This could be lifetime kind of commitment kind of a thing. Then, you know, I had to go to the fear and the panic mode of, you know what? I need to be honest with her about who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If we're going to make a lifetime commitment, we're talking about making a lifetime commitment, then we need to begin sharing some of the things that, that are beyond just the, the, the good stuff. And so we've done some of that, and we continue to do some of that, and, and, and we begin to be vulnerable with each other. We begin to, to let down the guard and know that we're not perfect. And the good news is after all of that, we decided we still loved each other. And wanted to move forward in that, in that relationship. And so any relationship that's worth its value has moments like that. In my own relationship with God, I grew up in the church. I was raised in, in the faith. My dad is a pastor. He's retired now. And uh, when we were, I always, you know, knew who Jesus was. I think I always loved Jesus. And uh, when I was 13 years old, we, we went to the Holy Land in Israel, and we got to tour all the places and see where Jesus lived and did his miracles and all that sort of thing. And as a 13-year-old who had been raised in the church, he'd always, you know, kind of, yeah, assume God's in my life and, and things are going well. Like, it was like a life-transforming experience for me. It was, it was a, an emotional mountaintop, high. And, and, and you might expect that for a 13-year-old who's going to Israel and seeing where Jesus was, or anybody goes to Israel and see where Jesus was who has a background in, in, in church and in Christianity. But, but for me, like, like all the light bulbs went off. And all the stuff that I'd heard like academically and taught, right, it became to begin to be real for me as, as a grown-up. I remember my dad was giving a sermon uh, on the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus, you know, taught the, the, the Beatitudes, the blessed are these and all that good kind of stuff. And, 
And my dad talked about like, you know, giving your life to Christ. And I'd heard it a million times. But, you know, this time it was like I was like the deer in the headlights. It's like this Jesus is real. This is the real deal. And so, like, you know, I got in my heart, I got vulnerable with Christ. You know, I surrendered to Christ. I believe that's an important part of the call that I had to be an ordained pastor. Going back to that, 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 that mountaintop moment of 13, right, where this just dramatic coming to Jesus. I'm going to, you know, let all my guard down and just let you pour into me. That's like the high point of my life spiritually, right? Dramatic kind of stuff. And I'm guessing some of you have had similar situations like, you, you know, when you've been on a mission trip or been on a retreat or, or gone away or, you know, something, God got hold of you and it, it changed everything, right? That dramatic moment, that kind of like the moment where Laura and I, you know, became vulnerable with each other and we just got it all out there. And it's like, you know, I love you anyway, right? I love you because of who you are. These dramatic moments in our lives, they're just powerful. Now, the thing about these dramatic mountaintop moments, we need them and, and, and they're powerful and they're important, but they're going to be a few of them throughout your life, right? But then it's the everyday moments that really make those relationships work. Right. So Laura and I have been together for 16 years, and we, we had those mountaintop moments at the beginning. We've had mountaintop moments since then. Right? But most of our moments are everyday life. And so we've had to learn how to be in relationship with each other through the good and the bad and the ugly. Right? When, when we're sick and, and we got snot coming out of our face or we're throwing up in the toilet or we're mad at each other or uh, something's gone wrong and you know, the kids are driving us crazy or they're making us happy, right? It's those everyday ordinary moments in life, right, where, where we have to continue to be honest with each other. And I've learned the more that I share with her about my fears, my anxieties, and my dreams, the, the, we, stay, we stay connected. And we've lasted 16 years. And, and the more that I put the wall up and say, you know, I've got this covered. I don't want you to see all the stuff that's going on inside of me and behind me. That, that, those are the moments that, that stress us out even more. Right? So the vulnerability with my wife must always continue. I think that that's true of any relationship. It, it takes work and it takes investment and it takes honesty and it takes guts to put ourselves out there as we are and trust that someone's going to love us anyway. Right? I think that the same thing is true of God. I think we have these mountaintop moments. We have these dramatic moments, but we've got to figure out the ordinary moments where we are in an everyday relationship with God. And it's trickier with God because we can't see God. We can't hear God. We can't touch God like we can each other. Now, I think God is tangible in the world if we know where to look and how to do that. But to have these everyday moments, we must first make a commitment to God. We must first be like King David, and, and we've got to figure out a way to let our guard down. And we've got, to, we've got to figure out a way to be vulnerable with God and invite God into that relationship to begin that relationship. I, maybe you can think of it in terms of a mirror. Right? How many of us don't like to look at ourselves in the mirror? If we look at ourselves in the mirror, we suck in our gut, we stand up straight, we turn you know, the right way to see the best side of ourselves. Right? The, the way we're going to present ourselves to the world. Right? What if we held up a mirror to our souls? You know, would we like what we saw there? Uh, how, many of, uh, how many of us struggle with anger or lust or uh, fear or you know, hatred or whatever it is, insecurities? Like if we held up a mirror to our souls, would we be comfortable enough to look at it ourselves? Not to mention sharing that with another human being or sharing that with God Almighty to stand in, in God's presence. But the beautiful thing is God's going to love us anyway. 
he knows all about us, but there's something special like King David when King David made the intentional shift to say, God, I invite you to come in and know me. And this is who I am, and I'm not perfect. These are the great things, and these are not the great things. But God, I want to be in a real relationship with you, so here I am, Lord. What do you think? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to be talking about these next several weeks of how we do that. But, but what's important is that, that to build up that relationship with the Spirit, we must first let down our guard. And so, brothers and sisters, what I'm asking you to do, are you ready to let down your guard with God? And I know we, we don't just let our guard down with anybody. Right? But God is not just anybody. The Holy Spirit is not just anybody. The Holy Spirit is, is the living God, the, the wind, the, right? the, the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. Right? God isn't just anyone. If we're going to trust anyone with who we are, then God probably should be that person. Right? So I know... This hopefully is connecting on some level, and some level is, well, what do I do? I still don't know what to do. How do I do that, Pastor Kyle? And so I, I want to invite you to do two things this week. The first thing is to begin to practice Psalm 139, 23 through 24. You want to take a picture of this or write it down, right? I invite you to actively pray these verses. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? I invite you to pray that in your mind. I invite you to pray that out loud. Right? But add your narrative to it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Right? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What are you thinking? What's going on in your life right now? What are you scared about? What are you excited about? What are you anxious about? What, what makes you angry? What makes you furious? What, uh, what brings you joy? What, what are your dreams? What, you know, see if there's anything offensive in me. Right? God, don't just see. Tell God. Right? God, these are things that I, I don't like about myself. These are things that are, are within me. I need to let go. God, I need some help with some of this. And God, show me the way. Right? So don't just pray these verses verbatim. Right? Put, some, put some teeth into this. Right. Say what it says, but, but, but stand there in front of God. Again, if, if it's in your mind, do it. If you speak out loud, I think there's power in it. But begin to practice this. Say, Lord, I, I'm ready to be in a relationship with you. And I know it's going to take a lot of guts. And God, I, I need to be vulnerable with you. And, and I need to say some of these things out loud, maybe just for myself to get it out there. Right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. God, this is who I am. Okay? So I invite you, I challenge you to begin to do this. If you want to pursue a relationship with God, this is a great place to start, a tangible way to start, and just, just see what happens, right? The second thing is come back to worship. Right? So each of these next weeks in the season of Lent, we're going to focus on one spiritual practice that will help us grow closer to God, tangible things that you can do to begin to take the next step in your relationship with Christ, right? And so those are going to be practical ways. So keep coming back, right? Keep watching, Right? But this week, we, we've got to begin letting our guard down with God. To build up that relationship with the Spirit, we must first let down our guard, then come back, and we're going to talk about specific ways we can grow closer to God. Right? Now, a bonus would be to buy the book, Naked Spirituality, by Brian McLaren. Okay? Naked Spirituality by Brian McLaren. This would be a bonus. Okay? Uh, and you're going to need to do this on your own. You're going to need to take initiative. Go to Amazon.com, right? Go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, put it on your Kindle. Get a hard copy, whatever, right? This series is inspired by Brian McLaren's writing, and he has 12 practices, right? Ways to grow closer to Jesus. We don't have 12 weeks to do this. We, we, we picked and chose some of the ones we thought were very relevant for our church right now, so we're going to do a handful of those. 
But if you really want to go deeper, this is a great way to do that. It'd be great for your small group or life group to do this, but that's going to be up to you, okay? But this week, practice that Psalm 139 and come back next Sunday. One more passage from John's Gospel. We looked at it last Sunday. We've looked at it a lot in the past few weeks. Uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn you, but to save the world through him. If you've not yet had the dramatic moment of giving your life to Jesus, I would invite you to maybe consider that this could be that moment. That the God of the universe created you in his image and that is good and it's holy and it's powerful. And there's a lot of goodness in each and every one of us. And at the same time, God gave us the freedom to choose and, and to make our own choices. And sometimes we make wrong choices. And so instead of connecting with people, we, we break things off with people. We break things off with God, right? We've got the good that we were created in, but we also have the bad and the ugly that we bring into our lives and other people bring into our lives, right? And here's the good news. God loves us anyway. And he loves us so much, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that he sent his son into the world to die and to come back to life so that we have a lifeline back to God. If you're looking for that dramatic moment, I invite you to consider it right now to say, God, I'm tired of living a life without you. I'm tired of guilt and I'm tired of shame. I'm tired of anxiety. I'm tired of being weighed down. God, I need some joy in my life. I need some good news. I need some hope. I, I need some grace. I need some forgiveness, Lord. I, I want you to know that I, I, I want your, your son Jesus to be true. I, I invite him into my life, God. Let's start something right now. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, God. I'm going to get it all out. Lord, come into my life and begin it right now. God loves us no matter what. Amen. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? So let this be a moment where we begin to surrender and be vulnerable to God. Right? To build up a, a relationship with the Spirit, we must first let down our guard. Brothers and sisters, let this be a moment in time where you let down your guard and you begin to pursue a real relationship with Jesus. It's in His holy name that we pray today. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and sing our closing hymn.